No, Superman Forever Radio, the weekly podcast devoted to Superman. Hello, welcome back to Superman Forever Radio. It is Thursday, and that means we're doing our review show. Um, I am your host, J. David Weider. This is episode 22, and what Superman Forever is is a twice-weekly podcast devoted to Superman, not surprisingly. On Sundays, normally, we will look through the entire mythology in different mediums from TV to animation, of course, uh, comic books. And on Thursdays, we are continuing our trek through everything post-Infinite Crisis, every book that came out. And we have come to May of 2007 in our quest, which began in 2006, cover date. And this week, I have three books to to cover, rather than the normal four, because of DC's erratic, well, let's call it what it is, late and unorganized publishing schedule during this time. So this week, we're going to take a look at Action Comics number 848, Superman number 662, and Superman Batman number 34. And I appreciate you joining me on my uh, the new format. Uh, so far, I've been enjoying it. I hope you have too. Um, if, if there's any uh, criticisms or complaints or praise, hey, let's not rule that out. Go ahead and send them to me via email at mail at supermanforever.com. But without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and jump into this week. And after this promo from a fellow Superman podcast, we're going to take a look at the books published in May of 2007. Well, to be specific, with a cover date of May of 2007. Right after this promo. I think I mentioned that. Good day. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait. What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman. Wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world and when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every 
Thursday at Chef the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and Beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air, eventually, because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. And as I mentioned, we are only looking at three books this week. Um, Superman Confidential did not ship on time, which is pretty pretty common for this era. So there was not a May cover date. So we're going to jump right in with Action Comics number 848, which is Redemption Part 1, If You Believe, comma, A Man Can Fly. Written by Fabian Nicieza, penciled by Alan Goldman, inked by Ron Randall. Jared K. Fletcher was on letters with Martha Martinez on colors. Assistant editor was Nachi Castro with Matt Idelson as editor. And Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And auction 848 opens one year ago during the time frame that 52 covers, while Superman was powerless. And Clark is trying to investigate a suspected metahuman in the country of Nyasir, who seems to be looking over the Johansson family, who are missionaries to that country. Speed ahead to one month ago, when the Nyasirian soldiers confront the Johansson family again, and Redemption, the metahuman in question, stands in to watch over them again by incinerating the soldiers. So Superman, now powered up, as we know, is able to find a trail in the electromagnetic spectrum from the scene of the incineration, which he follows back to Colorado. And there he finds Redemption, also known as Jared Dale in a home, praying intently with his parents for forgiveness for his actions. And Dale indicates as he's praying that his powers are faith-based and beyond his control. Superman, as Clark Kent, investigates further by visiting Jared's church, which reminds Clark of his own church in Smallville growing up. And Clark speaks to the church's pastor, Matthew Hightower, who admits that redemption was dispatched to protect the family, but does not condone the actions that were taken. Hightower just... uh, cuts the conversation short, and as the town people enter for the service, and he invites Clark to attend, which Clark does, as Hightower gives a sermon on the Samaritans, using them as a metaphor for those hiding among them, feigning support for their cause. Clark knows that the notes Hightower had laid out for the service were on another matter entirely, so this is a spontaneous speech designed to tell Clark to back off. Back in Metropolis, Lois and Clark, ready for bed that night, discussing the situation. Clark admits to Lois that the religious angle is throwing him off, and Lois tells Clark he can't police every meta everywhere all the time. She asks about Clark using his powers, and if he made a mistake when he learned when he was learning. Clark admits, hey, I still do, but I never got anybody killed. And Lois poses the question that, if Dale's powers are faith-based, is he ultimately responsible for what happened? Clark is unsure and feels like he needs to do something for the situation, but not isn't clear what. Back in Colorado, Jared Dale makes a late-night visit to the church, praying intently again, when Reverend Hightower offers some consolation. 
Hightower admits that, you know, it is a very trying journey, and Dale asks him what he should do if it ever happens again, which Hightower answers the best you can. Then adds when, not if, it happens again. In Nyasir, the Johansson family come under attack again, which Clark hears about on the television in the Daily Planet offices and rushes to Nyasir as Superman. But Clark knows it's too late for the family, but he has to get there before Redemption does. And Redemption has shown up already when Clark gets there, and he begins to repeat his actions of incinerating his enemies, but before Superman halts the process, standing between him, telling Redemption, this ends now. And so, the issue ends, ready for the big confrontation to be continued. Before I comment on this issue, I want to be clear. I am making no statements for or against any religious denomination. This is simply a commentary on a comic book and nothing more. Practice whatever religion you, you practice, whatever it may be, with my full acceptance. But this was a story that brought a lot of questions right out onto the table, which I liked. Superman has been given the Christ allegory for decades, and a lot of stories have brought the religion factor into it for Clark. Uh, being from the Midwest, uh, Clark would probably be likely to visit a Christian church. So that background wasn't surprising, but Superman's conflict in stories like For Tomorrow and to some extent Kingdom Come, they're internal only or implied or, or inferred. Here we have a foe that really makes those conflicts real in a physical way. And Redemption's tactics are very reminiscent of the Westboro Baptist Church, except filled to the brim with, with power on rival with Superman. So rather than picketing against something that conflicts with his ideology, Redemption obliterates it. Literally. So Redemption's intentions are fairly simple. Protect the Johansson family from persecution. His results are much more disastrous. And this brings Superman to a conflict with both his religious upbringing and a powerful meta who Superman struggles to see as an out-and-out -out villain. And the scene in which Superman peers down through the roof of the Dale family home, seeing the conflict within Jared, it causes Superman to pause. With the, power, with the Parasite, or Luthor, Superman has a relatively clear case of people who want to do bad things to achieve their own ends. Jared Dale wants to answer to a higher authority, and grapples with the emotional turmoil when his actions result in an unexpected and tragic result. It's a clear allegory of Superman as a youth, learning to control his powers under the guidance of Jonathan Martha, uh, kind of the way it could have been, but it raises a further question. Who is ultimately responsible for redemption? Is it Jared Dale, or is it Matthew Hightower's influence? Uh, is his influence much heavier than at first glance? We get a pretty clear indication that Hightower is pushing Dale, or, the, or even the church congregation, to bend to his own will. And then we also have the 800-pound gorilla in the room. Is there a higher power responsible for redemption? While redemption's power seem to be based on belief, is it in himself or God? And these are the questions Superman has to answer before even engaging redemption. And they are tough questions to that you know brought into focus with Clark's own church-going experience as a child in Smallville. The idea of belonging, uh, being a part of a belief or structure, is something familiar to Superman, not just because of his childhood experiences, but also as a member of the Justice League. And it's Superman's belief not in a higher power, but in a set of ideals that stops him from confronting redemption right out of the gate head on. And this is Superman, you know, he looks for good in everybody, but redemption is a threat, and Superman realizes this. So these are the questions that lead Clark to Colorado to see for himself the origin point and foundation of Jared Dale, 
And luckily, it leads him to Matthew Hightower and helps Clark see, at least suspect Hightower does have more to him than the surface would show, given that he spontaneously gives that speech, which quite clearly was aimed at Clark. And this is a story that easily could have been heavy cliche-laden, but instead we could actually get a slightly insightful, thought-provoking story that leads Clark into some deep introspection, but doesn't need feel the need to dwell there. And a really good standout scene is Lois and Clark talking through their conflict, and yes, it does serve as exposition, but it's good that Lois recognizes what's going on with her husband and puts it right out on the table, just putting Clark into a position to actually confront it and make a plan of attack. And Redemption is obviously not a typical villain, and Superman can't use his typical methods to deal with this. Even if he takes Redemption down and stops him cold, he risks making him a martyr. And Superman knows, like we do, that Jared Dale isn't wholly responsible for his actions, but who is ultimately responsible is the core of the conflict here, and that's an out-of-the-box, compelling read. And this issue, it proves that when Fabian Nicieza wants to deliver a top-notch story and bring his A-game, he does it in spades. And the story is helped by Alan Goldman and Ron Randall's art. The look is sharp and clean, but the character work uh, doesn't necessarily stand out. It doesn't go right up front. However, Matthew Hightower, he reeks of some hidden evil, and Redemption looks like a sympathetic character, although we do see that he is a threat. And the emotions that Redemption exudes are perfectly filled with anguish, but don't feel cartoony or over-the-top at any time, and his costume design is impeccable. The panel work flows seamlessly, even in instances where the narrative flashes back and forth from the past to the present. It's a great example of how the art, when laid out and executed properly, propels a good story. There's nothing flashy about Goldman's work. He doesn't have the distinctive qualities of Ed McGinnis or Darwin Cook, but he has a superb handle on storytelling, which is the cornerstone of comics. It is a visual medium. There are weak points in the art, yes, but it's always straightforward here and doesn't overpower the story or fail to tell it. And in this visual medium, filled with deadlines, we should be seeing more professionals handing in well-told stories on both the visual and written front, rather than looking on splash pages and really trying to do wizard covers, which I guess really isn't a problem. But Action Comics 848 just delivers this and leaves the reader thinking about the issue after it's done, and you end up looking forward to the next issue anxiously, and that's exactly what a comic book should do. So in the end, I rate Action Comics 848 a pull list. If this was my first issue of the book, I would subscribe for more. Moving right along, next up is Superman number 662, The Weight of the World, written by Kurt Busiek, penciled by Carlos Pacheco, inked by Jesus Marino, with colors by Sinclair and Lowridge, lettered by Comicraft, with Matt Idelson as editor, Nachi Castro as assistant editor, Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Beginning in Tibet, Subject 17, sent there by Arion, wanders among the populace, disguised under a thick cloak. He is able to psychically reach out to the minds of the people around him and identify his foe, even there in Tibet, as Superman. And at that moment, Superman is conducting a test on Power Girl to see if the auctioneer identified her as the third Kryptonian. And his systems read her as non-Kryptonian due to her being from Earth 2 and not this Earth's Krypton, so that rules her out. And Superman wonders if Crypto would have been that what the auctioneer scanned, but Crypto hasn't been seen in a year, ironic since this issue was solicited to be a crypto story. Via flashback, we learn that Arion has given Superman two weeks to ponder the vision that was laid on him and whether he should continue being Superman. 
Over lunch at the West Bank River House, Clark, Perry, Jimmy, and Lois discuss Arion's vision, and Perry kind of takes the side that maybe Superman is causing people to not strive for things anymore, while Jim Lee staunchly defends the Man of Steel. The conversation ends up creating more conflict for Clark. And after taking a moment to repair the Daily Planet globe following his fight with Bizarro, Superman consults Zatanna, mistress of magic, for some additional background Arion, on Arion, and to ensure that he is not under any magical influence. Zatanna confirms that Superman is not under that influence, and with that, Superman flies to Iran to meet Sirocco, who ironically has not chosen that name until Superman offhandedly calls him by it. And Sirocco tells Superman that he gained his powers by besting a desert spirit in battle, which Superman notes that by Sirocco's increased pulse is a lie. So Superman asks Sirocco about Kyber, which Sirocco insists is dead, and shows Superman the Citadel where Sirocco himself killed the villain. With Kyber possibly dead, Superman is left to weigh the validity of Arion's vision, even with Sirocco's flimsy story. After all, if it isn't Kyber who rises up, it would surely be somebody else. After a walk on the ocean floor to clear his mind, Superman heads back to Metropolis, where Lois is settling Christopher down for an afternoon nap. And Lois calls out to Superman, Central Business District, over Glen Morgan Square, now. At that moment, a fleet of new gods is flying over, arriving Metropolis, and leaving us with a cliffhanger that comes out of nowhere. And this issue was supposed to be picking back up on the Camelot Falls storyline, which went on an odd hiatus of sorts for the last few issues. And while we touch upon what was introduced there with the appearance of Subject 17 and Sirocco, the ending really throws off what came before. And let's just address what everyone is thinking. Chris Kent is around, Superman is repairing the Daily Planet globe after the Bizarro's attack. Well, this must take place after Last Sun. So Superman must get free from the Phantom Zone, defeat Zod, and keep Christopher in the picture. Aha! Wait and see. Wait and see. The issue does clear up a few points. Firstly, the fact that Arion left after the end of Superman 658 and gave Clark the two weeks to ponder what he had seen explaining kind of what we've been looking at for the last few issues. So Clark has basically been pondering the question of whether he should or should not be Superman. Is he harming humanity more than helping it? Superman seems to be doing a lot of consulting in this issue as well. He consults Zatanna on Arion and any magical influence. He consults Sirocco and learns where the character we saw in the future fits into contemporary times. Consults Perry and Jimmy on their opinion on the, on the matter and finally consults the bottom of the sea for more clues. There's a little bit too much going on in this issue. Uh, Superman is still looking for the third Kryptonian mentioned by the auctioneer. Power Girl may be Kryptonian, but she's from another dimension, and does get a good line in, Anytime you want me to make me doubt my entire history and my identity again, I'm your girl. I wish there was more time spent on Power Girl's place in the Superman pantheon. She shows up from time to time, but usually in cameos or during battle. Since Power Girl is essentially, or, well, quite literally, Supergirl from Earth 2, should she have stronger ties to the Superman books? I think we need a few clarifications on that, but I don't think we're really going to get them. However, Power Girl's appearance serves to advance the third Kryptonian subplot, which has pretty much been forgotten since the, the books, since the mention way back before Last Sun began. And we still have Subject 17 wandering around Tibet, which at least we have an update on where he went after Arion disappeared of him way back in the early stages of the storyline. 
We do not get an update on Callie Llewellyn. However, here, I mean, what we're seeing here, the Subject 17 thing, it just amounts to a cameo and creates another dangling plot thread. In Superman's talk with Sirocco, he and we end up with more questions than answers. Sirocco's lies, you know, he straight up lies about his origin, but Superman doesn't detect any falsehood when Sirocco tells him that he killed Kyber. So the main villain of Camelot Falls may be dead before we even really meet him. Ah, wait and see. And which, it's kind of the biggest flaw of this issue. It serves as exposition to what we've read already, separated by three issues that didn't really tie in in any direct way. We get no real answers to what is going on, and we really add more questions to an already complicated situation. Uh, you know, the third Kryptonian subplot, it's just here, it just serves to muddy the waters at this point. And to top it all off, we get an ending that throws us into another direction. Admittedly, the story is intriguing. A possible future darkness at stake, with Superman possibly possibly being the cause. But too much time has passed to pick up media res, so we get spoon-fed everything that's come before, pointing out the dangling plot threads without attempting to rectify them, and then adding more plot threads to the mix. It was something that was handled really well in the post-crisis era. Uh, there would be multiple plots, but at the same time you had four books acting essentially as one, as a, pretty much a weekly Superman book. So you could, you had breathing room to do this, but with action and Superman on their own accord, it's just too much for one issue. And Pacheco's art, though, it delivers as per normal. His Superman is sleek, his Zatanna is hot, and his landscapes and backgrounds are gorgeous. And Pacheco was given a lot this issue. He had a ton of characters and locations, and he stepped up to the plate big time. And the colors still resonate the way they should. And it was one of the big factors that set this book apart at the time it was actually hitting shelves. The image of Superman swooping down to place the Daily Planet globe back on its perch resonated with the excitement that it should. It looks epic, even if we've seen the scenario play out a few times. And the page layouts have been on par with what's come before, effectively telling the story and moving it at the right pace at almost all times. The book just suffers with a transition from one storyline to another while not wrapping up or really engaging either. It drags down what could have been a great issue and earns Superman 662 a rating of Wait for the Trade. And so that brings us finally to Superman Batman number 34, which is Metal Men Part 1, We Robots. Written by Mark Verheiden, penciled by Pat Lee, inked by Craig Ying, colored by Danny Luvisi. Lettered by Rob Lay, edited by Eddie Berganza with assistant editor Adam Shegelman, Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster, Batman created by Bob Kane. And the issue opens with Doc Magnus' assistant Helen entering the abode, his abode, giving us the background on Magnus. In his lab, Magnus has forgotten to pay the electric bill on the middlemen, including gold, which is just a head since gold is expensive, gather around Magnus. Elsewhere at a Wayne Enterprise facility, Metallo, now in a rotting human body, attacks with a group of high-tech ninjas looking for skin tech to cure his rotting flesh. And Batman shows up and tears them apart, but as Bruce Wayne, he must speak at a memorial for the three men slain in Metallo's raid. The widow of one of the men from, uh, pardon me, confronts Bruce, telling him basically that her husband died because his security wasn't strong enough. Obviously, she doesn't know she's talking to Batman. 
Superman visits Gotham and confirms that Metallo is who he is and adds that since Metallo didn't get what he came for, there may still be a danger. In light of his financial woes, Doc Magnus uses the Metal Men to break into the same facility where Batman and Superman start to fend them off before Magnus tells the duo that his Metal Men are already in the vault and now it's time to negotiate. That's the whole synopsis. I know it seems short, but honestly, that's all that happened. The Metal Men are, I mean, they're usually a welcome addition to any crossover story, but here they, they come off very, very awkward. Platina, or Platinum's, jealousy hits a fever, fever pitch, and Helen is given very little backstory as far as how she relates to Doc Magnus. Lad has a very annoying delay in his reactions, and the new Metal Man, Metal Woman, I should say, Copper, is given very little to do to justify her addition to the team. There's also a big inconsistency inconsistency stemming from page 4, where the security guard, who first sees Metallo approaching, identifies himself as Fahey. Two pages later, the man in the office on page 6 also identifies himself as Fahey. Tying that in, on page 14, we're going to come back, Bruce Wayne reads the names Kevin Fahey, David Thompson, and Bradley Weddle. There aren't two Fahey's. Major editorial oversight, and I've reread this just to make sure I didn't overlook something or read something wrong. So that's that's pretty glaring to me. I'm sure other I mean, somebody may have went right over it and not noticed it since it's not that big of a, a part of the story. Now on page 15, the widow of one of the Fahey's, it isn't clear which one, the security guard or the man in the office, confronts Bruce slapping him and blaming him. Is this how Batman started walking across the United States? Or am I... Oh, nope. Wrong hero. Uh, well, moving on. When Superman meets Metallo on page 16, he mentions that Metallo was put into a human body over a year ago. Which proves that the story is not in continuity because Metallo was last seen in Up, Up, and Away. And it was actually a polymer. And then he was also in Action Comics number 10, still having a synthetic body which resembled a human body. So if that didn't do it, page 31 seals the non-continuity deal with neither Batman nor Superman recognizing the Metal Men or Doc Magnus. Yet Magnus tells Batman that the Metal Men broke into his facility. He identified Batman as breaking into, which is a Wayne Tech, his facility. And all of your people are safe. So essentially he's addressing Batman as if Batman is Bruce Wayne and Magnus knows the backstory. We'll let that play out. It's still sloppy work again. It just feels like this issue is missing a middle section that fleshes out what exactly is going on. The metal men have no whimsy, no charm as they should. And Doc Magnus has no personality, just like an empty vessel where Verheiden forgot to put a character. And Pat Lee's art helps a bit, especially with a sharply drawn Batman and a stoic, if all, a stoic Superman with, yeah, you know, an anime Ben, which actually works in this book, rather than, say, action or Superman. But that doesn't fix a hollow story. And I give this soulless issue a quarter bin ranking, and I wonder if that's being generous. So those are all three issues. We went through that really, really quickly. I'll tell you what, we're going to play another promo. We're going to come back. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about where we're going as a podcast. No big announcements, just sort of a state of the nation. Here's where we are. So here is a promo, and then I'll be back with you in just one moment. 
rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. Hi, and we're back. And we're back. We've been doing this show for a while. I plan on continuing it. This isn't one of those, I'm going to drop a major bombshell. I'm pretty much enjoying the twice-weekly format. It gives me more time to concentrate on what I'm doing on a, on a specific task at any given time. I just wanted to take this moment and let you know it's at this point, uh, as far as I'm concerned, I want to continue this way. You'll see more stabilization in my schedule after this episode or after Sunday's episode. So the episodes will get a little bit more fleshed out, a little bit longer, not in a bad way. <laughs> You'll have more information and more to do. I just want to know uh, if you would send me an email, is there anything you want me to cover? Anything, uh, it can be from any era. I don't want to step on any other podcast toes. For example, we covered the Fleischers. John and Wilson will eventually be covering that on the Golden Age podcast. And uh, so just let me know if there's anything you want my perspective on. You can always email me at mail at supermanforever.com. Primarily, I just wanted to take this moment to thank you all for listening. I do appreciate it. Uh, when I started the show, I didn't have a really clear-cut plan. I just knew I wanted to do a podcast, had a loose format. I figured I'd find a stabilization. Right now, I'm really happy with the format. I'm really happy with the things I get to cover. I just love being on the mic and uh, communicating with all of you. So I primarily just want to say thank you. I, I, I think the twice-weekly format's working well for me. If you're having trouble catching up, don't worry about it. <laughs> You'll eventually uh, just stick with me. Um, you'll find your way eventually. But uh, primarily, yeah, just wanted to take a moment and thank you for listening. This episode is going to be quite a bit shorter than I intended it to be. So I do apologize for that. But uh, I'll be back Sunday. We'll be covering something. And uh, I just, uh, you can always find me at iTunes. Leave me a review if you would. Good or bad, be honest. I, I can take it. I have thick skin. And, uh, of course, I'm at supermanforever.com. One thing I really wanted to address was the daily podcast. I'm still planning on doing it, and it looks like next week should be the start date. I'll let you know for sure on Sunday. But what happened was I initiated that with the understanding that the cable company was coming to, uh, to install my internet, and that did not happen. So doing a daily podcast, I can't run to the library every day to upload an episode. And unfortunately, with the iPhone, I don't have the option to upload that way. So I apologize for that. That was that was bad on me, bad on the cable company. But it looks tentative that Monday we'll start the Superman Forever Daily Planet podcast, which will be a side podcast related to this one. You'll still be able to find it at supermanforever.com. It will have a separate feed, which the inform I should have the information for on Sunday. So I do apologize. That's kind of embarrassing. It looks bad on me. So I wanted to address it right up front instead of just bypassing it. But that's the reason why is that I don't have internet at the home doing a daily podcast. Recording is one thing. Uploading and putting it out to the web, entirely different. So right now I've been running to the library, uploading the episodes after they're done. And after I get the internet in the home, we should be set and ready to go. You should be seeing a almost daily podcast. If not daily, it'll be pretty pretty regular. And then we will 
of course have our normal Thursday full length and normal Sunday full length. But primarily, my goal was just to thank you for listening. I do appreciate it. Appreciate the emails that you send in. And don't forget, you can check me out on Views from the Long Box in episode 124 and 125, where Michael Bailey and I discuss Secret Origin, the Jeff Johns pen miniseries. And uh, I just I hope you check that out. I think I had a fun time recording with Michael Bailey. It, it was a blast. And uh, I'll let you know a little bit about where else you can find me uh, as soon as I get a little bit more information. Other than that, remember, mail at supermanforever.com. I'm on Twitter. I am at Superman, number four, ever. And, uh, of course, Superman Podcast Network, where there's a great legion forming of Superman podcasts. All of them are great. I recommend all of them. I have no qualms about that. So that is at supermanpodcastnetwork.com. And, of course, I'll be back here Sunday to talk a little bit. Uh, Visit me on supermanforever.com. And you guys, until I talk to you Sunday, keep on fighting the never-ending battle. Superman and all related characters, the distinctive likenesses thereof, and related elements are trademark of DC Comics, Warner Brothers Entertainment Company. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not gain profit from the images or related properties belonging to DC Comics or Warner Brothers Entertainment. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster.